How many of us are excited about Christmas? Wait a minute. How many of you are excited about Christmas? There we go. I know that I am. And um, listen, before we jump into this Christmas teaching um, that is entitled Shalom, we've been talking about how God through Christmas brings order into our chaos. Uh, I really want to thank my son for his message last Sunday morning. Peter, wherever you are, that was awesome. Thank you very much. And if you did not catch that teaching, it was basically the title of it was this, Christmas in a Violent Year. How many of you feel that way, that it's, we're approaching Christmas and it's been a violent year? And there he kind of gave wisdom from Scripture in the perspective of God saying, me too. Now, before I jump into this teaching, I just wanted to let you know and kind of reemphasize again that if you have not downloaded the YouVersion Bible app to your, your smartphone, I want to encourage you to do that. Not only because after the first of the year as we move into the new year, we're all going to be reading through a Bible plan that's available through the YouVersion Bible app, but because every Sunday morning, by 7 o'clock in the morning, all of the notes for my teaching are uploaded to the YouVersion Bible app. And the way that you'd find that is you just click into that app. Once you've clicked into it, go to the menu. In the menu it says live. Click on the live, put in the zip code for this area, and City Church will pop up. From then on, you won't even have to do that anymore. But you can click on that, and you'll get all of my teaching notes. You'll get all of the announcements. You'll get a link to the video that will be of this service that's posted usually by Monday night. And it will also kind of lead you to our church website. So really was encouraging everyone to get that YouVersion app because it's such a wonderful tool that helps us to communicate with you, but also allows you to kind of follow with me through the notes that I'll be teaching from this morning. Now, we're talking about Shalom. As I got together with Callie, our worship pastor, and we were talking about this Christmas season, and I'd just really been praying and thinking through what should the theme of this Christmas be. It was very apparent even that month and a half to two months ago that there was just a lot of sense of stress and strain in the air. And how many of you can find yourself kind of polarized during Christmas between just incredible fun and joy and incredible stress and the hectic nature of Christmas? Are you like me? You can kind of find yourself tugged back and forth. And so in the midst of that, just felt led of God to talk about shalom. If you've ever been around a Jewish community, you know that when Jewish individuals, many of them, when they see a friend or they meet someone, they'll say shalom. And they say the same thing when they part, shalom. We know that it translates as peace. But shalom biblically is an incredibly deep word. It's more than just that 1960s peace. It's way more than that. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. Shalom comes from the root verb shalom, meaning to be complete, perfect, and full. You know, it's kind of funny, but my image of complete, perfect, and full is how I always feel after I eat the Thanksgiving meal my mom prepares. That's like my ultimate image of shalom. 
In modern Hebrew, the word related to shalom in modern Hebrew as shalem means to pay for. And shulam means fully paid. And so as we're taking a look at shalom, here's kind of the definition of this word that I would like for us to have in our heart. Shalom in the Bible describes the actions that lead to a state of soundness or wholeness. That's what shalom is. The Bible describes shaloms as actions that lead to a state of soundness or wholeness. This morning's teaching is going to take a very different angle than maybe you've experienced before. As we talk about shalom, I would like to speak to us this morning on what I would like to entitle a tale of three kings. A tale of three kings. We begin with the text that's been read twice already this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, speaks prophetically towards Christ. 750 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah, who is the most quoted prophet in the Newer Testament, pens the following words. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So the prophet Isaiah geographically gets myopic about what's coming next. He literally explains the borders of Christ's earthly ministry. Jesus rarely, if ever, was more than a three-day walk from the shores of Galilee. If you were to read on, you would find, here's what the prophet says, Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That was the theme of the worship song that Callie wrote, how the darkness and death cannot overshadow the light of Christ. And then we pick up the most familiar verses of all, verse 6 and following of Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, he will be a king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne. In other words, he is a king. And he will have a kingdom. But his kingdom will be greater than King David's. King David was the favorite king of Israel. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. By the way, every Jewish person will tell you that without justice and righteousness, there is no shalom. It cannot exist. So this king will establish a kingdom. He will be a son and he will be born to us. And he will establish a kingdom that will be about justice and righteousness. And it will begin from then and forever. His kingdom will never end. And how will this happen? It won't be through political savvy. It won't be through military might. The way this king and this kingdom will happen is that the zeal of the Lord Almighty 
will accomplish this. So what we're going to take a look at this morning again is a tale of three kings. In order to understand this, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 2. The book of Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading on page 832. Page 832. There are only two Gospels that mention the birth of Jesus. You've got the book and the book, of, the book of Luke and the book of Matthew. We're going to look at both this morning. But the book of Luke deals with what happened before Jesus was born. The book of Matthew deals with what happens after Jesus was born. And so looking at what happens prior to when Jesus is born, we have to look to the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, the scriptures tell us the following. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Do you remember where? The prophet Isaiah said to watch Galilee. And it says that David exited that region. And it says, as you read on, it says, because he belonged to the town of David. And because he belonged to the town in the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, they, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. The prophet Isaiah said, a son will be born to us. The Bible says she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. They were poor. What we have here is the context by which the prophet spoke and the writer gospel of Luke wants us to clearly understand. Context matters. I don't know how you are, but I'm struggling a little bit in this moment for the context of Christmas. Here's why. Last Sunday, I scraped ice off of my window shield to come to church. This morning, I almost wanted to put on my air conditioner as I was driving to church, right? See, in our culture, the context for Christmas is a white Christmas with snow, not 75 or 78 degrees, although 75 to 78 degrees in December is a miracle I've prayed for my whole life. How about you? Look, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. I don't like cold at all. My prayer is one of my children would own an Italian restaurant on an island in the Bahamas, and I would go visit them repeatedly between November and March. I will be down there as a chaplain in the restaurant when I get old. But look, context matters. It matters tremendously. I want us to get a hold of what God is trying to tell us about the birth of Jesus. This is key. It's a tale of three kings not just one. You see, the book of Luke initiates Christ's birth by telling us this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. We have to understand who Caesar Augustus is. Better yet, who he was. 
Let me tell you a little bit about Caesar Augustus. Some of you, as I'm talking, the light bulb will go on from some history lessons you had 50 years ago in school. Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Caesar Augustus was born into a very wealthy, powerful, well-connected family. He was born September 23 in the year 63 B.C. He died August 14th, or August 19th, 14 A.D. Caesar Augustus was the founder of the Roman Empire. He was the one that had defeated certain people, killed certain people, had people assassinated, made alliances, banished people. He did all types of things, but under his leadership, Caesar Augustus was somehow able to bring all the power brokers to the table. And for the first time, what we know as the Roman Empire was coming together. He ruled from 27 B.C., until 14 AD. Caesar Augustus was a man of incredible intelligence, wealth, and power. He was born, as I mentioned, into a wealthy family that was part of the equestrian branch of the Roman world. That meant they had wealth and power. His maternal great-uncle was someone you've heard of, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 B.C., and he had put in his will that Caesar Augustus would be adopted as his son and the heir to his power and his authority. Caesar Augustus was an amazing person, but he was ruthless and cruel. You and I are more familiar with him than you could have ever imagined. The month of August is named after him. So every time you're in the 31 days of August, it is a reminder of who he is. And some of you sitting here said, I had no clue why August was called August. He was an interesting man. Again, he had incredible power. He did not call himself the emperor. He called himself the first citizen of Rome. That's what he called himself. Even though he wasn't an emperor, he was someone that was viewed as a king. He had the power of a king and the privilege of a king. He initiated something that from the back of your mind you will remember this. He initiated what was called Pax Romana. Pax Romana translated means Roman peace. Remember, we're talking about shalom. We're talking about the peace that Christ can give us. But Caesar Augustus initiated what was called Pax Romana, Roman peace. And it carried itself for almost 250 years. What Caesar Augustus did outlived him by almost 1,500 years because of the things that he put in place and the political things that he maneuvered to accomplish. Interestingly enough, when he died, it was reported that his last words that were said were this. He said, I found Rome of clay, 
and I leave it to you of marble. Picture that. He died saying, I found Rome of clay, and I leave it to you of marble. Please understand that in the Gospel of Luke, Luke begins by saying this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census of the entire Roman world should be taken. You are talking about the man who started the kingdom of Rome. The Bible tells us that because of that census, this impoverished family goes on a journey and mom is pregnant. And when they arrive in the little town of David, this baby is born and is placed in a manger in a very impoverished type of a way. Now, if you would with me quickly, turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew gives us another perspective about what happens after Jesus was born. So we begin with King Caesar Augustus. And now we move to another king that the gospel explains to us. We find this in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read about another king. He was called Herod the Great. As we read, we discover here's what happens. Jesus has been born, chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of, what's the next two words? King Herod. Here's another king. In the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, the replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Dropping down to verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. You know, if you read that properly, you would read it with the voice of the wicked witch of the West. Reading on, though, dropping down to verse 12, the Magi go and they worship Christ. In verse 12, it says, And after having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now we drop down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That was one of the main themes of my son's sermon last Sunday morning. But who is Herod? Who is King Herod? Let's learn a little bit more about the second king that the Gospels tell us about that's involved with the birth of Jesus. He is known as Herod the Great. Herod's father was by descendant an Edomite whose ancestors had converted to Judaism. Herod was raised as a Jew. Herod is most known 
because of the fact of these incredible things that he built. If you've ever heard of Masada, have you ever heard of Masada? Masada was a country castle that he had built on top of a mountain overlooking the Dead Sea. It was an architectural wonder. Not only did he build that, he built other arenas. He also built the second temple or expanded the temple in Israel for the Jews. Although they were frustrated with him because some of the things that he put on the temple, they felt had an aversion to Judaism. But he was an incredible builder. But in order to build, he taxed the people ruthlessly. We also know this about Herod. Herod was ruthless. His chief appeal to Rome was that he had merciless efficiency with which he was able to extract taxes from the people. Don't you feel that way every April 15th? Here's what we also know about him. He murdered all the Hasmoneans, the sons of the Maccabeans, if you've ever heard of the Maccabean revolt. He murdered all of them, anyone who was involved with that revolt. He wanted to make sure that they would never do it again, so he simply slaughtered all of them. There was a point in time in his political career where the Roman Senate, very surprisingly to everyone, including Herod, announced him as the king of the Jews, and Herod ruled in that area for 37 years. He had 10 wives and 12 children. One of his wives, Miriam, had a brother, Aristobulus, who was the high priest, and Herod was afraid of him, so he murdered him. Then he killed her too. His paranoia was legendary. He was afraid one of his two sons might take his throne, so he murdered both of them. His entire life was one of plotting and execution. Listen to this. Five days before his death, he executed all his descendants who might have laid claim to the throne. In one of his final acts, just picture this with me. In one of his final acts of his evil life, he had all the distinguished citizens of Jerusalem put in prison. And he commanded that they be slaughtered the moment he died. Here's why. He said, these people will not weep for me when I die, he said. And I want there to be weeping in Jerusalem on the day he, I die. So he had them slaughtered and you could hear weeping all over Jerusalem. So the book of Matthew tells us this. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Look at the story. You've got Caesar Augustus, who the book of Luke tells us was in authority and power when Jesus and his family made this journey to go to where he would be born. In the place of his birth, we've got King Herod, who is king of the Jews. And what I want to submit to us very clearly in my heart and hopefully in yours, prayerfully in yours, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is saying to you, there are three kings, which will you choose? Which king will you choose? Where will you find your strength and your peace? Where will you turn? Who will you follow? When we look at this, we find Caesar Augustus, powerful, 
wealthy. And we've got Herod the Great. He's a horrible person. Then, born between these two stories, we have Jesus. And Isaiah tells us that there will be a son born to us. And the prophet Isaiah says to us, listen, when you see him, you won't believe it. But the government's going to rest on his shoulders. He will be a king in the line of David. And if you think David was awesome, wait till you see him. Now, as we look at this story in the birth of Jesus, many of us would say to ourselves, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been there when Jesus was born and I could have experienced the angelic host and I could have experienced all of these things. Do you still want to be there? When you picture Caesar Augustus on one side and King Herod on the other. Yet the Bible says this is the context into which Jesus was born. We have a massive advantage when we now read the Christmas story 2,750 years after Isaiah prophesied. It's almost like the writer of Matthew and the writer of Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying, here's a king that was reigning when Jesus was born. Luke says, here's a king. Matthew says, here's a king that was reigning when Jesus was born, and yet Christ is the king of a new kingdom, and he is born, and so this becomes a tale of three kings. That's what this becomes. And the gospel writers, under the inspiration for this Christmas, is saying to you and to me, which king will you serve? Which king will you serve? Do you want to serve a king who just as he died rallied all the wealthy, powerful people and had them slaughtered so there would be mourning on his day, of his death? Do you want to serve a king and in a kingdom that what the king said when he was dying was, you found Rome or I found Rome and it was made of clay and now as I'm dying you, I hand you a Rome that is made of marble. I want to say this very sincerely. The purpose for these writings is that there are three kings. And the question I have for you and for me, what kingdom am I looking to for peace and strength? And I want to say this oh so clearly. That if you're looking for the politic to save you, don't be shocked when you meet Herod. Because Herod thrives there. Herod becomes king there. Because that kingdom is not a kingdom that can give you peace and joy and satisfaction. I'm not saying don't be involved in that kingdom. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't do stuff in that kingdom. But what I'm telling you is, if you're looking for peace there, you're going to be sadly mistaken and let down. There are three kings. And born between Caesar Augustus and the king of the Jews, King Herod, there's this impoverished baby who's deposited in a manger. And in him, there is a new kingdom. And that kingdom was born. You see, we have the advantage now of 2,750 plus years of hindsight. And we can look back, and with the gospel writers, we can now say with incredible rejoicing, 
that that impoverished baby, who if you stood by that crib that was a food trough in the floor of an impoverished home, if you would have stood next to that baby and looked at him, you would have never believed that his kingdom would outlast the Roman Empire, but it has. You would have never believed in a billion years that he would actually become a king because his parents were flat broke and they were impoverished and had nothing. He came into the world and was not politically connected. He didn't have an uncle named Julius Caesar. He had parents that were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And so when we look at this, the Gospels present to us three kings, Caesar, Caesar Augustus, Herod the Great, and Jesus. I don't know how you are, but I would rather serve the one who said when he was king on this earth, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. On his deathbed, he did not take revenge. Instead, on the cross, he announced, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. I don't know how you are, but my soul is tired of the kingdom of this world. My soul has grown tired from the kings of this world. My soul longs for a king who came into this world, and he is a mighty God an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. That's what my soul longs for. The Gospels present to us three kings. And my question to you is, which king do you serve? And the greater question is, in which kingdom are you looking for your hope? As you can tell, I'm passionate about this very simple message. Because what I know is, Herod cannot give you peace. What I can tell you is, Pax Romana cannot give you peace. But what I promise with you is the only hope for people like Herod is the king that was born while he was ruling and reigning. And his kingdom is never advanced by the sword. Never has been, never will be. It's advanced by serving and kindness and love. You and I, our hearts crave for that type of a kingdom where you are welcome to be a part of it, whether you are a king or a peasant. All we have to do is look into that manger and say, I choose him and his kingdom. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together, we're going to conclude our time, and we're going to conclude with worship. We're going to conclude with the worship song that I've asked Callie to lead us in. It's Emmanuel, Emmanuel, O come Emmanuel, God with us. Christ is positioned to us in the Gospels as a king. And he has ushered in a kingdom.
And you and I are standing here because Isaiah was 100% right. His kingdom and his authority and his governance will never, ever end. As we stand into his presence, and we sing this powerful Christmas hymn, would you and I together open up our hearts to this king? My soul is weary of Augustus Caesar and his kingdom, of Herod the Great and his kingdom. What I need, what we all need, is Christ. Christ the King, Emmanuel God with us, an eternal kingdom that the zeal of the Lord has accomplished. Let's open our hearts together to him as we sing this together. Let's worship.
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He is a king with a kingdom, and it's filled with peace and joy and strength and direction. Let's pray together as we close. If you have special need that you would like prayed for, our prayer team is now moving down towards the front. They'll be here to pray for you and to pray with you. But as we move towards God in prayer at the close of our time together, I want all of us to assess ourselves in God's presence. Have I been trusting in this king? Or have I been trusting in the kings and the kingdoms of this world? Jesus Christ came to issue into a kingdom that would be filled with peace and joy and righteousness and justice. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that your light has shined and the darkness has not overcome it. I thank you that death and the kingdom of this world could not overshadow the kingdom that you brought in. And I pray in this moment as we step towards Christmas that we would look at the tale of three kings and by faith we would choose Jesus. Lord, help us to be a group of people that trust you and follow you and live in your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you're presented in it. And I pray for guidance and direction and peace and strength for every single one of us. Lord, if we happen to be a person who has not yet chosen you, I, be, I pray before the setting of the sun and the resting of our heads that individuals would choose you and say yes to you to be the king of their lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for Shalom and thank you for Christmas. We pray this now and we trust for it in Jesus' name, the name of our humble king. Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer, I invite you to come forward. If you would like to stay in worship, you can do that as well. If you're going to be dismissed, please do so quietly. God bless you. We'll see you next sun Sunday morning. Bring a friend.
Your love has ravished my heart and taken me over, taken me over. And all I want is to be with you forever, with you forever. So pull me a little closer, take me a little deeper. I wanna know your heart. I wanna know your heart. Cause your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I wanna know your heart. I wanna know your heart. my heart and taking me over taking me over and all I want is to be with you forever with you forever so pull me a little closer Take me a little deeper I wanna know your heart I wanna know your heart Cause your love is so much sweeter Than anything I've tasted I wanna know your heart I wanna know your heart So pull me a little closer Take me
pull me a little closer take me a little deeper i wanna know your heart i wanna know your heart cause your love is so much stronger than anything i faced and i wanna know your heart i wanna know your heart so pull me so great 